Welcome to Deeper Still, KPC's weekly podcast where we look back at the sermon the week before and a couple of us uh, talk about just impressions or things that didn't quite get explored during the sermon. We kind of think out loud together with you a little bit, so we're glad you're with us and um, we're just looking forward to today's uh, subject, which is Exodus chapter 1. The remarkable true story of Shifra and Pua, uh, two midwives who were tasked with delivering uh, Jewish babies. And um, anyway, we're going to talk about their story today. So, Jane, would you like to start us off today? Uh, Sure. So, the story goes that they... The Israelites were, uh, this was after Joseph, after that time of peace, after that whole generation had died, right, is how the chapter opens. And uh, and so now there's a new Pharaoh, and he sees the Israelites and how numerous they are, how, and that they're prospering and flourishing in the land, and so he... Um, becomes fearful and is afraid, I guess, that there will be an uprising or that they'll join their enemies. The Israelites will join uh, Egypt's enemies. And so he calls uh, the two midwives, Shifra and Pua, in and gives them the orders to kill after birth, after the Israelites... Babies are born. If it's a boy, to kill it. If it's a girl, they can let it live. And they then the scripture says that they feared God, and so they did not do that. They um, allowed the boys to live. So that's the story that we're talking about. Yes. Yes. So uh, we have a madman in Pharaoh. Uh, an anti-Semitic madman. Um, there are a lot of things that we could talk about from the passage. Um, you know, the first one I'll just point out again from yesterday is that um, his uh, original order is based on fear or jealousy, but the statement he makes up is is really a lie. Um, he needs an excuse to get rid of this people. And so he uses the old fear tactic, well, I'll I'll get everybody afraid, and that'll give me the reason I need to do this horrible thing. Um, Yeah, so so these two women uh, defy Pharaoh's order, and they don't do it. Um, You mentioned why they didn't do it, and I think that's very important to the story. Um, It wasn't just that, you know, faced with the actual task of killing children, you know, it's like... It's not like someone with a gun and they go, oh, at the last minute I can't pull the trigger. That wasn't their reason. It was because they feared God, which I, I didn't have any time to explore this, but I've thought about it some. Um, it's one. Of, it seems to be a situation where either in the moment the Holy Spirit kind of comes on them and suddenly they have this conviction of the Hebrew God that they never had before, um, or perhaps they've seen these Israelites, the way they live their life, the peace, you know, because we said they were a peaceful people, um, perhaps something in their life and witness 
had spoken to Shifra and Pua, but it, it is truly based on um, a fear or a trust in God. They can't, you know, even though Pharaoh can destroy them in a second, there's a greater fear of God. Um, so they, they trust him and they, they do this thing. So, Yeah, cause so we should point out that these women were not, mo- not necessarily Hebrew. Most likely most they likely were not. not. Yeah. They were most likely Egyptian women. Yeah, assigned to Hebrew childbirth. <clears throat> right. And I don't think I made this clear yesterday, but, you know, there's also their jobs a little bit bigger than the text gives away very blatantly, which is they were in charge of all the other midwives. So these are like the two head midwives because there's no way these two women are going to be able to do every childbirth with an exploding people group, you know, population explosion. Um, so it seems to be that they gave orders to all the midwives, don't do this thing. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps they just never told them Pharaoh's secret order. You know, mm-hmm. they just let them deliver as usual. I read one other thing that was kind of cool last week. Pro- okay, oh, I'm sorry. No, as I was gonna say, one other little side thing I read that didn't make the sermon was that, um, you know, maybe they didn't lie to Pharaoh. You know, it could have been that, um, you know, they purposefully delayed going over to where the children were born by the time they got there. So, so, so I guess, yeah, so we should say the rest of the story. Yes, the rest of the story. They, they defy his orders. He calls them in. And then he calls them back in and because he sees uh, the Hebrews are still, you know, multiplying in number. They're still growing. Babies are not being killed. And so he calls them back in and says why and and they say their their reason is that the hebrew women are too they're not like egyptians hardy (laughs) and they give birth too quickly uh before they can get there yeah so that may not have been a lie right maybe they just purposely delayed in getting there could have been a delay tactic or you know it's interesting because um i hadn't thought about because most likely they were over they were the two head midwives over a group of midwives because obviously two women couldn't be in charge of there's no way giving you know of um aiding in the birth of so many um, hebrew women that wouldn't be possible so it's interesting to think or just to wonder like what did they do with pharaoh's orders did they keep them a secret and just between the two of them or did they tell the midwives and then have to explain to them, well, we're not going to do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just kind of makes me think about like, what do you do when you get bad news or something, you know, that kind of like spreading it and telling it. I mean, I just, I think logically they would have had to hold on to it because otherwise they would have had to tell all these midwives and then these midwives then would have been, these other midwives would have been in that place of, am I going to obey? Am I not going to obey? That doesn't seem to make sense, I don't think, in light of the text. But there is this other side of it, though. If they don't tell the midwives, yeah, I, yeah, that's right. Because if, I was going to say, if they don't tell the midwives, then the midwives would show up and kill the boys. I mean, some of them would arrive on time and kill the children. So either way, they messed up this order 
you know, hey, Pharaoh, maybe they said, you know, Pharaoh wants you to wait two hours before you go or something, but they couldn't have given the order because some of them would have obeyed Shifra and Pua and not killed. Others would have said, I, I can't defy Pharaoh, and they would have killed the children. Right, so I just think So it, something wonky happened there. Well, I think it says a lot about their leadership because I think we uh, have to assume that they did not tell the midwives. To me, that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, so they didn't tell the midwives. So that's to me, that says something really great about leadership, you know, which is they, the buck really did stop with them. Yeah. They made the decision, and they didn't bring in all these other conflicting, confusing opinions. Right. They just said, no, before God, we know what's right to do, and we're going to do it. Yeah, because it it is like you could think of Nazi Germany or any dictatorial state. You just follow orders. So whatever orders they would have given would have been followed because everything is on pain of death, you know, on fear of death. In a, in a dictatorial society. So either way, they completely defied Pharaoh. So then in that light, it really says even more about how courageous they were because they took the full responsibility on themselves and they didn't, so they couldn't blame anyone else. No. They couldn't blame any other midwives. That's not on the table. That's right. right. So so when they when they made the decision not to, not to obey Pharaoh, to obey God, they didn't compromise anyone else's life yeah. in that decision. Yeah, and, and I wonder, too, I love when they answer Pharaoh back. You know, well, these Hebrews are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous, and they give birth before we can get there. Every time I read that, I think, that sounds like one of those lies you just blurt out under pressure. It's really not the best lie ever, you know. Oh, well, they're, they're not like us. They, um, so for me, and that, that just captures emotion like, these two are really sweating it out before Pharaoh when they go before him, but they stick to their story and they, um, you know, they just lie right to him. And they can't blame anyone else. No. You know, they can't. So that's really... They can't pass the book. That's a cool... Yeah. That's yeah. really... I think that just speaks to how courageous they were. You know, it brings up this whole issue that um, I know some people are hearing this and you're thinking about Rahab. Uh, because you remember Rahab did something similar. She, uh, she took in the spies, Joshua and Caleb, and she hid them. Um, and then she lied, you know, she diverts an angry mob away. And yet here she is, she's a prostitute like Shifra and Pua, um, especially because their names appear in Ugaritic texts. They probably are Egyptian women. I mean, these are people way outside of the faith of, um, you know, of Israel, and yet they're saved, and they're rewarded, and they're blessed, and it just, I think there's this whole other sub-point, and I wish I would have had 10 more minutes to preach it, um, where where I think a lot of times we want to pin our relationship with God on a confession only, but there's this whole other side of um, trust and belief or something we live, and so though they don't have a background in scripture and prayer and, you know, this deep kind of demonstrated reverence for God in the moment they take their stand with the living God and they're rescued. And I just think it it speaks to the nature of faith, you know, that we're just so, you know, we're so vocally oriented, you know, well, if I say it, that's all I got to do. But, you know, belief biblically 
is it's what you do. It's what mm-hmm. you, it's how you live. You know, if I, th- I think I've said this before, but you know, if, um, if someone had a look at the life, like someone from scripture was watching the life of many American Christians and American Christians, Hey, I believe in Jesus. You know, the first thing they would say is, yeah, but your life says something completely different. It really is the life we live Mm-hmm. that tells the story of faith and where our allegiance mm-hmm. is and who our God is. And for these two, they clearly demonstrate mm-hmm. they they are about God. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, I think too, just, and especially with Rahab, since you brought her up, that <clears throat> with all three of these women, it shows that God is from the beginning of of creation, not after Jesus. But from the beginning of creation, he is personal, and he was about relationship and speaking to people. Because, you know, these women had to have some kind of a nudge, some kind of a knowing what was right. If they had never heard the law, you know, if Rahab didn't know God, she was outside of, of that, you know, faith, there had to be then a... a, a Holy Spirit knowing, like, you know, just that a personal kind of this is the right thing to do is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think it's especially true with Rahab because when you think about it, you know, she is within the confines, within the border of the promised land. So there's no chance she's ever heard of God before this moment. I mean, you know, with with at least uh, Shifram Pua, they may have seen it. You know, they mm-hmm. may have overheard some kind of worship going on. Mm-hmm. Rahab has no chance of that. She is moved in the moment by the Spirit of the living God. There is there is literally no other explanation for yeah. it. And she responds <clears throat> to I this just, God. And I love how that just, again, I just love how it points back to that God has always been this way, personal, loving, all about relationship. Because I think a lot of times we tend to think, well, that happened after Jesus. Like, that's what Jesus. Yeah. Jesus came and down on the cross, and then personal relationship began with him. No, I mean, that was God's intention yeah. from creation. That was his intention. Yeah, and, and so there's this, because um, people do that all the time. It's like, hey, if you saw Jesus in the Gospels, you know, you would have had that encounter. Or if you're there at or after Pentecost— you can experience the Holy Spirit through other people or be moved in worship. Boy, people, it sure was rough in the Old Testament where people didn't have that, and that's not true. Yeah. Now, obviously, the, the, there's a multiplication effect of, you know, people having access to, um, a, you know, a personal Holy Spirit meets them in worship and all these other places— but throughout the Old Testament, I mean, what do you see? People encountering God, experiencing God. There are all these theophanies that happen all over the Old Testament, whether it's, you know, a burning bush or, um, you know, God in some other form on top of Mount Sinai. But, you know, He is forever the same. He was doing that then. Mm-hmm. It was just much more localized, individual. There were much, you know, fewer people that experienced mm-hmm. God like that, but... These women do. Yeah. Okay, and then, um, so one of the things we said we wanted to talk about was kind of where we ended up yesterday, um, that when you look at Shifra and Pua from our vantage point from Scripture, they just come off as these superheroes. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but it doesn't take very long in looking or thinking about it to realize that they're no different than anybody else. These are two very normal people that save the entire nation of Israel. Um, and so we were kind of kicking around a little bit just that, you know, there really aren't any minor characters that we can't really fall back on on insignificance, which we like to do. You know, well, I could never make a difference. Well, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of a background character. It just doesn't fit with the whole story of faith. Mm. If we all said yes to God, mm-hmm. if we if we fear the Lord putting our trust in Him, um, there's no telling what the church could be, what we could be as individuals. Mm-hmm. God is still up to great things through very insignificant people. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times our flesh and our friends and our society and sometimes our families, certainly the enemy of our souls, really wants to get us trapped in insignificance mm-hmm. and weakness <clears throat> and, you know, what we're not capable of. Yeah. Or the opposite, which is this idea that if you're not doing something <laughs> great, like great in quotation marks, and by great, I mean like everybody knows about it and it's, you know, you have a, a platform or you have a, uh, you know, in, from which to speak, and people hear you or see you. Um, like if so, if you're not doing that, <clears throat> if you're not having like a a big influence, then you know that that's what we should be striving for. Then then that's not success. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's sort of like the enemy's like, okay, so you need this, or you're insignificant. Yeah. So we can get trapped in condemnation. Or insignificant, but you're hinting around at something else too, which is works. Mm-hmm. We can be completely driven by works, you know. <coughs> bless Excuse you. Excuse me. <coughs> you know, always trying to top the last thing we did, you know. And I grew up in a system like that as a kid, a religious system, Christian church, where, um, you know, not only did you get a perfect attendance pin for going to Sunday school, but if you weren't doing evangelism with the church, if you weren't showing up on Wednesday nights as well as Sunday mornings and as well as Sunday nights and in a small group, you know, there was that whole side of it. And, and you know, just uh, being people of works without any kind of joy or it coming from the heart. Right. So, there, I mean, there's some real traps around this whole living in just real genuine fear, love, and trust of God. Right. Well, and I think to me it just... To me, it just speaks to being faithful. Mm-hmm. Be faithful to do what the Lord brings your way. Yeah. Be be faithful to do that. Say yes, and we'll just you know walk in His ways. Mm-hmm. Um, without um, discontentment, mm-hmm. you know, or feelings of insecure or in in not insecurity but um or what was the word I'm looking insignificance. for insignificance yeah insignificance yeah. thank you you know but just be faithful yeah like it, it really can be in a way that simple to just be faithful mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't dream for you know bigger things and God's not gonna but just to be faithful in what he brings to you every day which is just what they I mean it's just what Shifra and Pooh are doing 
they were faithful in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the key for them, and I may be reading too much in it, but I, I hope not, is I think they got themselves out of the way. Because, you know, a lot of times with those pitfalls or those traps, it's really us that's in the way. You know, well, I've got to do this because I've got to stay good with God. Or, you know, well, I need another spiritual medal on my chest. You know, we get driven. It, we're really at the center instead of, I'm so in love with this God. I really want to serve Him. Right. And I really love these hurting people around me. i got to reach out to them. Right. You know, it's kind of that greatest commandment at the center, fueling the Great Commission instead of, you know, we're just trying to keep it together, trying to, you know, strive, kind of white-knuckled Christianity. You know, I'm just got to keep going. And I I think they're beautiful models of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, One other thing that I thought thought about, which, because, I mean, I think obviously, and you did in your sermon yesterday, People are obviously going to make the connection between pro-life mm-hmm. and this story, you know, abortion and um, especially with everything that's going on in the news right now. I just I feel like that connection is going to get made. And yeah. you did a great <clears throat> job of making that point yesterday in your sermon. But one thing that kind of struck me was that, um, and you pointed this out yesterday, but just that... Um, in other texts other than scripture, and like in the Torah and the Talmud, they talk about Shifran Pua and that that phrase about um, yeah. they let they the let live. the boys live, which is an indication that they were actually actively working towards making sure that the babies stayed alive and that the families were protected and provided for to raise these children, these boys, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I know that's not like in, in the Bible, but I love that. I really like, really just love that and that the Talmud and the Torah point that out because to me, that is what being pro-life means. Yeah. It's not only making sure that a baby is not aborted and is born, but it's it's the sanctity of life from birth to death, taking care of the mother, the child, the family through the entire process, which is what they were doing. They weren't just making sure that the babies got born and then leaving them. Like you said, they were going to wealthy families, asking them to provide, find, you know, I just, I mean, like, you, you know, if we could say Moses was part of this story, but he is, and, yeah. Right, and that, <clears throat> that um, you know, perhaps, I mean, we don't know this, obviously, so this is speculation, but just that, you know, perhaps they could have helped his mother get him into a bath, you know, and make sure, they could have even made sure where Moses ended up. I mean, we don't know, but that, to me, that's the point, is that they were continuing to care for these baby boys and protect the families. Mm-hmm. Which to me is the biggest pro-life statement. Well, believe it or not, in it, it's fascinating you say that because in Midrash, which is one of the Jewish, uh, kind of a Jewish commentary, I think it's Sota 11b. I think that's right. If you want, anybody wants to look that up. But there is, there is a story in the Midrash of how Shifra, um, one of the two midwives, helped Moses' mother. One of, it says in one part she was a wet nurse that's 
that that doesn't work though, but that she she actively personally aided in Moses's delivery, um, not into the world but into Pharaoh's house. Um, again, it's extra biblical, so you really got to take that with a grain of salt. But you're you're right. But you don't. I mean, that totally yeah. could be. It could I, be true. I, I mean, that. it's it's oral history yeah, from exactly. But but you're right. Instead of just having this survive mindset, they had to thrive. Right. So it's not we're just going to help them survive into the world. We're going to help them thrive. So they didn't just ignore Pharaoh's orders. They actually kind of did everything they could to make sure that yeah. the, the boys survived. Yeah. yeah. So you know the legend is that they. Went to wealthy families. They got food and water. They got it to the Jewish women as they were raising these children, and you know it just it just makes me not want to point fingers and accuse and blame anybody in any church I've ever been with, but it does make me want to challenge the church and say, look, we have got to do more than just get angry about abortion and make right. a lot of noise. <clears throat> we have to be a part of the solution. Um, and, and that, that's what you're saying here. Right. Is, that you know, to me, that's being pro-life. Yeah. That is, that is a definition of pro-life. Because otherwise the you're just pro-birth. Of, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Right. I'm pro-birth. Right. Yeah, but yeah. what about life? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's my point. Right. We can be pro-birth, but that's, that's not the point. The point is to be pro-life. Right. Thriving life. Yeah. One thing I hope and pray about, um, is that, um, you know, we in the church, that Christians, don't stop with a walk for life or a baby bottle campaign or attending a CPC dinner, you know, crisis pregnancy dinner. I pray it doesn't stop there. I pray that it, you know, becomes, hey, let's get in there with people. Let's help, whether it's educating beforehand or bringing resources after. And again, this isn't everybody's call. You know, it's not like you're not a Christian if you're not actively engaged in pro-life and because I think sometimes that gets to be the message, sure, you know, right. which is true of every cause in the right, Christian church, right, you know. Right. Um, but we, we all have very specific calls, and I, I hope that our answering to that call. Well, there's a lot of ways to. I mean, we have several families in our church, you know, adoption, yeah. fostering. There are ways to be, uh, and definitely different callings and parts of being right. uh, contributing to this pro-life yeah. um, calling. So, yeah. Yeah, and not letting it stop there, right. where we're clear that the message of Jesus is a part of the rescue. Right. Um, you know, because that's a great thing to save a life, but ultimately we're about salvation. You know, and so as we reach out, we do it in Jesus' name, with prayer, yeah. with incredible love, and sharing that message in our own stories when we get the chance. Mm-hmm. I think right. these ladies do that, that. redemption is always part of the story, and forgiveness, and grace, and... Mercy. And I think, you know, so to wrap up their story, then God, it says that he he blessed them and gave them families of their own, which you defined what that actually means yesterday in the sermon, Mm -hmm. which it means that they were the matriarchs of then this long lineage of... Enduring families. Right. um, That God really blessed them for their obedience and their fear of him. Yeah. Yeah, and so what's what's so neat is, so they have these, you know, they have families of their own, these lasting legacy type families in Israel, but you know when you put the chain together, it's Shifra and Pua say yes to God. They save these children's lives. They most likely help them to thrive. One of those babies is Moses, 
and Moses leads to the deliverance of Israel, and Moses is also a forerunner for Jesus Christ. Right. And and yet you you go all the way back in the chain, and it's just two women who said yes. Right. And I I just I feel haunted in the very best way by that. Like, wow, God, what difference do we make? And you know what, you know, Shifra and Pua were they around to see Israel cross over into the Promised Land? No. Were they there to see? Jesus Christ years later and what God's people would become, they didn't get to see any of that. They just said, yes, they serve God's purposes in their generation. And, um, of course, they have a great vantage point from heaven. But you, we never know the impact we have right. when we're, we're walking with the Lord. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it really is just a story of faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Right and on. Being obedient. Yeah. And trust, you never know. Trust and obey. Yeah. Not any harder than that. We're good. <laughs> Thanks. All right, friends. Well, uh, that kind of concludes today's... Uh, well, it's not a round table. There's actually not even a table in here. Our two-chair discussion with our microphone. Um, love all of you out there, and keep digging into the Word. Keep digging deeper um, with the Lord. And, um, hey, we'll talk to you soon. I don't know who's talking to you next week. I won't be here. So it'll probably be Jane and... Bethany or Harrison or somebody else will be looking, um, I think, uh, The Life of Abigail, 1 Samuel 25. Great story. If you want to read it now, get ready. It is a Hollywood movie. (laughs) All right. All right. God bless.